Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, the Swansea City podcast. I'm Gitto Llewellyn and with me, as always, we have Steve Carroll and Matt Baraku. Evening, boys. Evening. Evening. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, we've got two games to look back at. Um, two opponents from the West Midlands, West Bromwich Albion at home, Birmingham City away. Uh, we'll be looking ahead to Peterborough and uh, the visit away to Coventry. And I'm sure we'll um, be able to squeeze in a bit of uh, Cardiff chat in the middle, seeing as they have um, finally bitten the bullet and got rid of Mick McCarthy. We'll be assessing who we would like to see as their next manager manager, and um, who we think is the most likely to get the job. But before that, boys, we'll um, go back all the way to last Tuesday. And Matt, we'll start with you. Was this our best performance of the season? I think it's fair to say that it was the best result when you take out all the emotion of, of the derby. But the 2-1 win against promotion-chasing West Bromwich Albion, our best performance of the season, would you say? Yeah, I think that's a fair shout. Um, it was most impressive with all the uh, when you consider all the factors involved. Of course, West Brom flying high, uh, the reaction to the early goal, which we'll get onto in a bit, but the um, the complete control that we had from pretty much the opening goal, really, but certainly from the 20th, 25th minute onwards, um, it was uh, really a, a contrast of styles against each other. But we had all of it and um and West Brom really had little to do apart from uh try and uh, keep us at bay which to be fair um they managed to do so with some very uh close offside shouts for a lot of it but um it, it did feel so relieved so much so relieving and also so deserving uh when we did grab the late winner because it felt like this would this is justice we have really really turned up here tonight um we talked in last week's pod about the threat of after the Lord Mayor show. It felt like that could be the case after after 20 odd seconds. But uh, no, there was a reaction. It was a very good reaction. Um, and the players, uh, the second half in particular, was a, was a stellar performance, as I remember, under Russell Martin. Yeah, I mean, I mean Steve, that, that first half, I think it's fair to say West Brom... You know, controlled the game very well. We had all the possession, but we 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 didn't get anywhere near their goal. Um, Olivier and Cham came on at halftime, and and I I personally feel he he was a real game changer. We just needed that dynamism in midfield, and suddenly something clicked. But but Matt kind of said it there. We needed that goal. We needed that one ball over the top to go right. And you know, Joel Pirro in on goal again I mean these days when he gets into those types of positions he's not going to miss is he that's the attitude I have and and what I love about Piru is he he can be quiet for long periods but every time he gets on the ball he seems to make something happen and and we saw that again on 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 Tuesday yeah I mean you're absolutely right I mean <clears throat> he gets in and it's just very relaxing thinking, well, you think he's going to score. And obviously it was a lovely little ball over the top. I was waiting for that flag to go up because both linesmen seemed obsessed with it on uh, Wednesday night, which was very annoying. But then when I saw the round go up, I think, Christ, he's, he's in here. I mean, West Brom are playing such a high line that if you were to get it right, and there's a lot of space to run into. And I was surprised their goalkeeper really was, you know, he wasn't further out because that did mean there was such a big gap for P. Rowe to get into. And then he's he shoved off the defender. I'm not sure if it was Bartley or not, but um, once he was in that situation, then I was just waiting for the for the net to bulge, really. And um, 
yeah, it's a lovely little finish from there. I mean, Piro is is such a find. I mean, I'm assuming it was Andy Scott that um that discovered him really, but I mean, what a sign that he's been. I, I remember I saw I think it was a tweet from you actually, Gitto, saying he scores all different types of goals and he mm-hmm. he really does. I mean, there's I mean, if you look at the one against Cardiff, I mean, he's he's a left-footed player, and that was a pretty assured finish with a right foot. I mean, there was a right-footed one at Preston as well. I think plenty of other left-footed ones. I mean, this is a quality player. We're very lucky to have him, and um, hopefully he'll be with us for a good while, because even if I didn't think we were a good side, when you've got a striker like that, if you give him chances, you can win games that you probably don't deserve to win uh, just because you have got someone that can stick the ball in the net. It's such a game-changer for you, and... Um, you know, that, that was a lovely take and goal and it. it got us back in it. And I felt we deserved it, to be honest, because oh, yeah. we, we were playing really well at this point and it, it was really encouraging, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and you know, I thought in the second half especially, we were stretching West Brom. We were making life very uncomfortable for them. Don't get me wrong, they, West Brom could have scored too. It was, you know, they had their chances, especially the, the shot from distance, which Hema tipped onto the bar. Um, but... Back the the real moment of quality um, to seal the game came from um, Jamie Patterson, and we've seen some very very good goals scored by the Swans this season. Um, where does this one rank for you? Is it, it is that one right up there among the best? Well, I think the the problem is we have seen three or four quality goals um, this season. It's certainly and it probably it, it's probably it's got to be in the top three. Um, the style. The stylishness and in, in the way he takes the the ball through Bartley's legs, and uh, and and perhaps a lack a bit, little bit lacking in finesse in the finish, but he does exactly what he needs to do. He just prods it past the the keeper who's rushing out, and um, and he, he nestles beautifully in the back of the neck. But um, it was so stylish, in a man full of confidence, and you can see that he's he's in the form of his career at the moment, and. Uh, I can't believe that he was uh, he was available on a free transfer. Um, and and what's beautiful about the whole synergy of it is we just spoke about Joel Pirro, who is thriving off Jamie Patterson. Well, this was a goal that was created by Pirro for Patterson and their relationship, which we always see with um, you know a, a dynamic front two is you need to have that you need to have a good relationship. You need to have one drop in for the other one to go past, and that's exactly what happened. Piro was deeper. Patterson made the run onto the back line. Piro fed him, and, and the rest was done um, by the former Bristol City man. But the way those two seem to know exactly when to play the pass. I mean, like you say, Piro's goal was was perfectly timed. The pass was perfectly timed, and we've seen that several times already this season, where Piro's run was picked out perfectly by Patterson. And nice to see him return the favour, really. Um, those two are going to be so important to us, at least until January, where we will hopefully reinforce that front attacking options. But um, at the moment, our form and opportunity to get results is is quite heavily dependent on those two playing well, because uh, when they do, it's really difficult to stop. And Steve, it's a hell of a contrast to last season because, you know, Jamal Lowe and, and Andre Ayew, they, they definitely pitched in with the goals last season. You know, they scored more than, I think, more than 30 between them, um, you know, which is which is pretty good for a, for a front two. Um, but they never, ever showed anything like the kind of chemistry that we were that we were already seeing from Piru and, um, and Patterson. And in fairness, it's the kind of chemistry that we haven't seen from two uh, attacking Swansea players in a, in a long time, I would say. 
but it does show, doesn't it, what we were missing last season and, and the lack of synergy and the lack of understanding that we had up front last season, which frustrated us so much from two very hardworking strikers, but ones that just could not get on the same wavelength. And somehow these two players, you know, despite, you know, the fact that there are different stages in their careers, they're from different, very different footballing backgrounds, different styles, they've, they've somehow just found found this... This, this great relationship with each other. Yeah, it's it's one of those things you, you can't really um, ask for much more, can you, in that situation? I mean, we're very lucky that these two players seem to have found this this really good understanding, really, and, and long may it continue because, I mean, it's quite priceless. You, 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 I suppose you get a little bit lucky with it in some ways. I mean, you can, you can never expect that some players seem to just completely be on each other's wavelengths. So we, we've seen it in the last few games. I mean, Patterson putting Perot in on for the Cardiff game, and then we saw the vice versa, really, and again for the West Brom game. So it's it, it is really encouraging, isn't it? I mean, we we just seem to be a lot better going forward now. That that's the main thing because I think before that, I mean, we had that mad half of Luton where we managed to bang three goals in. But for being honest, we've looked quite toothless in a lot of games, and it's just been you know maybe the odd finish from Piro that's got us on the score sheet, really. So you know, I'm. It is more encouraging, isn't it? The three against Cardiff, got a couple against West Brom. We'll go on to talk about Birmingham uh, shortly, won't we? But um, we, we just needed to offer that more of a, a goal threat, really, didn't we? And I think that understanding in between those two is only going to help us, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, and Matt, I was interested in the um, West Brom reaction to the defeat because it, it was only their second defeat of the season. But it it did unleash this kind of wave of frustration among their fans, um, which has been building gradually. And we, we discussed a bit on the podcast last week about how this kind of simmering resentment about their style of play was was starting to bubble up. And, and we saw it bubble over um, after after losing to us. And I mean, I thought there was something very satisfying in the way that we beat West Brom. Just, you know, they, they were brutal. They really were pretty thuggish in their play and we outplayed them and got the three points and there was obviously a real frustration among the West Brom fans um, in the way that they lost that match and it just goes to show again that playing that kind of direct very physical football is fine when you are winning fans will get on board with any style as long as it's um, producing results but as soon as it as soon as it stops producing results suddenly you know fans Get get a little bit antsy about the whole thing, and and they lose their patience, and it's again maybe a reminder of um, Swansea last season. Yeah, like you just said, there. I mean, people only just have to listen back to a podcast last season when you felt like we were winning in spite of our performances rather than because of them, and um, and we were pointing out that you know we've seen uh, the word lucky probably. You know, if we got a pound every time we used that word last season, uh, we'd be quite rich, to be honest with you, because uh, we seem to have all the rubber, the green, um, which we lacked completely under previous managers. We never seemed to get it, but we'd saved it up for um, for, for for Steve Cooper's reign and uh, had good su- success with it. Look, two playoff finishes is uh, remarkable for a team that was being, you know, uh, selling its players every summer in January. So, um we uh, were clever in the transfer market, but we were always a negative result away from thinking, look, this isn't sustainable long term. We can watch a win and think, how on earth have we won that? But we'll take the three points. And you just know that performances without results, we will think, wait, OK, we'll get there. 
But if you don't have the performances, then you're entirely dependent on making sure you get the results. And uh, yeah, we weren't surprised. We were talking about this in the preview of the West Brom game uh, last week that, uh, you know, West Brom fans are perhaps a little bit antsy about Ishmael's tactics and um, and, and how we could relate, uh, given given the last uh, manager. Um, so yeah, it's not it's not a massive surprise. As soon as the result went against them, um, they came out in their droves and 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 with you know with dismay and stuff because it is one of those things, isn't it? You can win ugly, you, you, you win ugly, and people will accept it. But if you lose ugly, then uh, then then people are wondering what you know where's the long term you know what long term planning for that. But uh, yeah, I mean we're probably one of those clubs who can definitely relate to what those West Brom fans are thinking. Um, if they get success, then they'll take it in spite of the performances. But um, really, they're not a club we've been renowned for this sort of football. And uh, I'm sure deep down, a lot of those fans would like to get back to the slick passing style, which is, um, they've been renowned for over the well, the last generation or so, really. Yeah, and I know it's not Ismail's style, but there are players in that squad who are more suited to playing you know, a little bit of football than they are to playing the current style of play. Um, we then went on, of course, to play against Birmingham, another team who aren't, well, known for their um, their brilliant football uh, aesthetically. But has to be said, Steve, um, they got their tactics spot on against us. And, um, well, differently to West Brom, they, they did manage to keep us quiet for the most part on Saturday. Yeah, um, we looked really tired, I thought, and quite sloppy. I think that, that's how I would describe it. I mean, the first half was quite a, a bit of a non-event, really. I mean, not a lot happened. They had, Birmingham had that that goal disallowed, if I'm honest. I haven't seen the you know the replay back from the angle that suggests whether it was on or offside. I know some have said that they felt I thought, lucky with it. I thought he was onside, I'll be honest. That was my reaction at the time, and it was my reaction after seeing the replay. Yeah, that's fair enough then. But, I mean, we were just a bit sloppy, weren't we? I mean, there was that... You know, Hamer, remember, was caught out, wasn't he? Um, he was out of goal, and then the Birmingham player has had a shot and it's gone over. I remember at the time thinking, Christ alive, be careful here. We, we just didn't seem at it. I mean, we, we were misplacing passes. We were seemed to be picking wrong options. Then we'd, sometimes we'd under-hit the pass, then we'd over-hit one. It was, just, it was just a poor performance. I don't know whether if it was the fact that we'd had a bit of a gruelling week that um, obviously it had caught up with us, but we just weren't at the races, were we? No, I, I, Matt, what do you think about it? Because I, I tend to agree with Steve. I thought tiredness, particularly in the second half, and um, seeing players like Ethan Led, you know, his touch just wasn't there. And he was, you know, the ball was just bouncing off of him. We couldn't keep the ball. Mm. It just it it just seemed like it was a game too much for us. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to mention what you say about Birmingham. Yeah, I thought Birmingham were poor. I'll be honest. I thought they were really poor, but we were exhausted and unable to string two passes together, as Steve was saying. Um, in fact, I had a brief exchange with a Birmingham fan at the, after the game, and he agreed that uh, they were no great shakes themselves. But in the sense of we couldn't do anything with it. I mean, we still had, what was it, 74 or something percent of the ball or whatever. It's a ridiculous tact, uh, stat, statistic. Um, but in terms of doing something, we seemed unable to conjure up um, ideas. Uh, it wasn't sticking. Piro is very quiet game. Um, Patterson was, I mean, who we saw was just talked about, so reliant on creating for us. He had a poor game. He, he was almost trying too hard 
with these cross field switch passes which were under hit or over hit and, and going straight out of play and then and then going on to what you were just saying Gitto, um how reliant we are in this formation of our wing backs and we played Ethan Led right back first half we switched him to left back second half which was for everyone to see an unmitigated disaster he was tired but also he doesn't want to take it at that point um he wants to take it from the outside but he, he couldn't when he was on the left side and the ball was just bouncing off him the the, the experiment of Latabodia I feel a bit sorry for him he's not a wing back I mean yeah. we saw it at Derby away he he'll try but he's not fast enough he's not technically skilled enough he can't beat the man um but it's like Russell Martin wants to try and mould him into a right into a fullback, and um... I think he's un- I think he's unlucky in that sense because actually I think his natural attributes suit being part of a back three. Um, where, yeah. you know, and and I I thought against Birmingham he would have fitted in much nicely. I would have rather Manning out on the left. 100%, 100%. I thought that would have been the obvious choice, especially after he moved Led to the left and it came clear within about five, ten minutes of that. Right, let's revert to type here now because um, it's not working. We look completely toothless. And like I say, Patterson couldn't bring the fullbacks into the game and they weren't doing anything. And like you mentioned, we were struggling to create. So, I mean, maybe with hindsight, I know it's easy to say, move in Latibodia into Manning's position, Manning out to the left, led back to his preferred right-back position, would have seen us perhaps create a little bit more. And we almost got away with what happened anyway, with with, with the uh, Oberfemi goal, which we'll talk about in a bit. It was fantastic to see him get off the mark with a, one of our uh, rare, accurate uh, through balls, another one, uh, another one cutting open the defence. But um, it was uh, the whole build-up play, the energy was lacking, um, I don't want to sound bitter. I understand I probably come across a little bit bitter. I don't or want to give too much credit to Birmingham because I feel like if we were playing like we did against West Brom, it wouldn't have, we wouldn't be discussing Birmingham at all. Yeah, I didn't think they were particularly great with anything they did. Only that we were poor. Um, I was chatting to Steve after the game. The amount of times they got the ball down the wing and. Uh, Troy Deeney or someone like Troy Deeney was completely unmarked in the middle. It's so unlike us to be so lax with our defending, with our shape, with our, you know, at the back we seemed Bennett had a poor game, you know. Um, Hamer, like you say, got caught out once or twice, but ultimately kept us in the game when they tried to go uh, through one-on-one and um, tried to round him. So I think all in all, I don't think there's a player on the pitch I'd probably give more than five or six out of ten for. Um, and that's predominantly on us and our tiredness and maybe um, the week being as long as it was. But six points out of nine, I'll take that. I'd have taken that before the Cardiff game. And uh, I think it put it into perspective. I think it was uh, a good week. Oh, definitely. And and in fairness, I, I thought Birmingham were, were better than what you give them credit for. I thought their, their, back, their centre-backs... Um, you know, we vet, we just didn't put a foot wrong. Um, Deeney had a good game, and and I thought Chong was absolutely fantastic. He is a he is a brilliant talent, and um, I was very impressed by um by the way he played. But um, Steve, if if there is one positive to be taken out of the game, it is that we show that actually we can score out of nothing. Um, it was a long ball up the pitch. The one time that we caught out the um the the Birmingham back five, um, Obafemi. Doing what Obafemi was bought to do, I guess. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, I thought going forward, we were all full. It was quite funny. When I watched it back, listening to Chris O'Leary saying that we, we were creating nothing. And obviously that was literally seconds before the, the ball over the top from man. And then to be fair to Oberfemi, I thought the first touch especially was, was superb. I mean, it, it wasn't the easiest ball to, to control, but he's t- managed to touch it in front of him. Obviously he's taken another one. If anything, the worst touch was actually the finish. It wasn't the cleanest of hits, but it was enough to um, to go in. And at that point, I was thinking to myself, well, we're you know we're going to steal a draw here, even though we haven't played very well at all. And you know, I suppose that there's even the, in the back of my head thinking, could now this change the game to the point where we can nick it? Because obviously Birmingham had been on a, a poor run, so to speak. And you're thinking, well, their heads are bound to go down now because they were winning. They've had you know chances to put the game to bed and haven't taken it. And now we've scored from our our first meaningful attack, but obviously it, it didn't end up that way. But as you say, we bought the Femi to score goals, and it's great that he's off the mark. He hasn't had as many minutes as we probably like due to due to his injuries, but he's looked lively in the games he has played, and yeah, that'll do in the world. Because the last thing you need when you've got a striker is that they go on a, a long wait for their first goal, and um, in terms of minutes, it certainly wasn't that long to wait for all the Femi. So um, yeah, off and running, and um, first of many we go. Yeah, definitely. And, and Matt, Swans are now 16th in the table, 17 points. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're not too far off that cluster. We were four points off um, the playoffs, but there are a lot of teams in the same situation as the Swans, kind of around anything between kind of 15 and 21 points. Um, that mid-table section is looking bloated at the moment. Does that, I guess... My thinking on this is that the, the the past week for the Swans shows why there are so many clubs like that. Because a 46-game season, we've said it before, it's brutal, it's arduous, and teams are, inevit- are inevitably going to have a lot of ups and downs. It's very difficult to string two, three wins together. And so you're always going to have teams that just have a lot of off days and have these tired spells. And... you know a lot of teams are just going to be picking up points here and there and I guess the Swans fit into that category this season I'd say yeah I mean teams will inevitably take points off each other I think there was um, one of the I think it might have been Coventry and two other teams where one had beaten one 4-0 the other beat someone else 5-0 and Luton was one of the other teams as well but the way the results go you look like one team is so much better than another team people just end up beating each other um, and it's early doors. I think what's important to look at is the direction in which teams are going. And I think we knew before a ball was kicked this season, this would be a long one. Um, this is going to be a season of transition, and we would certainly look better towards the final third of the season than we would in the first third. So the fact that we're not nestled at the bottom of the table at the moment is a bonus in terms of uh, where we are in our progress. We've picked up a few good results this week with with in you know impressive performances and that will be something that we'll look to build on and build confidence from but we're only headed in one direction we we we're only going to get better at playing this style of play we're only going to get more incisive we're going to add to the, the the squad of players that suit us and slowly um shed some of the players who perhaps don't fit in so as time goes on we're going to look better we're going to look more comfortable in this style um draw direct comparisons between this and Graham Potter season, if you like, where we only got going there, you know, towards the midway point. And in the end, 
you know, barring a couple of uh, slip-ups towards the end, we could have perhaps sneaked into the playoffs um, and, um, and and made a go of it from there. But uh, certainly we looked better in the second half of the season under Potter than we did um, under the first. And I think n- not too dissimilar here where we're going to um, look better later on. So I'm, I, I'd more be concerned with um, where we're going to go from here. And it looks like our results will pick up as we start getting more and more comfortable. Um, Olivier and Chams declared that he's feeling fitter now than he has at any point since being here, which is a positive. Um, and, and the signings in general have been great. You know, we've we've looked uh, the likes of Flynn Downs, we've spoken about at length of how impressive he's been and um, and how he's worked so well with Grimes. Um, and and um, we, we talked about Perot and Patterson earlier on the podcast, but but the, the the signs are there that we're heading in the right direction. So yes, there's a mid-table cluster there who will take points off each other, but I'm sure that after Christmas we'll be taking more points off teams than they'll be taking off us. And um, next season's the one for me. Uh, if we don't manage to do something miraculous this season, then I, I would expect next season us to be a, a, a lot higher up. One, see, one team that's looking up at that uh, mid-table cluster is Cardiff City, who, after losing their eighth consecutive uh, league game, which is a new club record, they finally, Steve, got rid of Mick McCarthy. My first question to you is, what took them so long? Doing a great job. I don't know what you're talking about. We could have uh, set a record that no one could have ever broken. They should have stuck with it. Everyone deserves time in football. Um, as um, I say, as I said on Twitter, Steve, what, what's the world coming to when a man can't lose eight games on the bounce without losing his job? It's disgraceful. Loyalty, is, Mecca, I say. loyalty is dead in football, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all as, as the party power uh, Ryan Giggs advert showed. <laughs> oh, honestly, I mean, did, did either of you see Cardiff's game against Middles? Um, well, we were actually both of us were we went up with uh, Stuart James on um, Saturday, so. We got there about half time in that game, so we were in the pub. They already won down. Like it, was, it was sort of on in the background. One of the main things I remember was just after half time, there were a couple of goalmouth scrambles for Cardiff, yeah. and I have absolutely no idea how they didn't score. It was <laughs> like they were trying not to. It was unbelievable. That that was the best part of the game if you're a Cardiff City fan. I mean, like the rest of the game, they were hopeless. The first half in particular. I mean, if you thought they were bad against Swansea. I, I mean, this took it to a whole new level. They were so wide open. Their midfield was was utterly invisible. The defence was was totally disorganised. Middlesbrough were tearing them apart, but just couldn't score. Just their finishing was dreadful. Uh, and in the end, you know, Middlesbrough needed a, a extremely soft penalty to take the lead. But um, I mean, it, it should have already been about two or three by that stage. Cardiff just looked totally totally lost and I mean Mick McCarthy's last act as Cardiff manager was to bring on two youngsters off the bench for their debuts I was thinking oh that that's going to be great for their development bring them on when they're already 2-0 down in the worst performance that we've seen from this club in years I mean that's that's really gonna you know pave the way for a bright future for these kids um but I, I guess Matt that was a sign that he had already given up and that he was um you know, then he knew, you know, what 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 fate lied in store for him. I mean, 
It's how do you think Cardiff fans will look back at him? Because obviously he, the way he ended his Cardiff career was was abysmal, and and his tactics in the last few games have been shocking. But he did win more games than he lost, um, and he did you know turn things around when he first arrived there. You know, if, if you look in this record purely statistically, you'd say, oh, he wasn't that bad, was he? We said exactly how he was going to go, didn't we? You'd have the the bounce of uh, of, of coming in and and. Would they possibly be stupid enough to give him a contract off the back of it? And uh, it played out exactly as we expected it to, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, I'm sure Cardiff fans will revise their thoughts and um, and come up with an alternative uh, timeline of events because there's certain people out there who painted Mick McCarthy as the next Pep Guardiola when uh, he got given his new contract. And um, and the reality was he just got a bit of a bump out of the team and uh, and they they put a bit of a, a bit of a run together, hadn't they? And they they did they did string quite a few wins in a row and and look like uh, you know he pulled the wall over their eyes. So um, no, it, from what I've seen in 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 the press regarding uh, his sacking, they've there's still been very little desire from the people above at the top level to you know, revise their thinking and wonder if they'll go down another route. It's just ego-driven, I see, I feel. I feel like they want short-term results. Um, perhaps, you know, to shithouse their way into the Premier League, I don't know, because the reality is to go to a footballing manager, I mean, that's going to take, A, it's going to take money, B, it's going to take time, and C, it's probably going to take a relegation because that yeah. transition is not going to be easy. Um, so do they just keep rehashing the same old bollocks and come up with another hoofball manager? Well, according to the bookies, maybe, because that's, you know, some of the names up there don't fill me with a sort of fear that Cardiff are going to suddenly come back and play like, uh, you know, Swansea circa 2011-2012. So, um, yeah, uh, he's another one in a long list of names for Cardiff that uh, have come in. Had short-term results, short-term success, and have gone has gone now with a nice little payoff. So um, keep it up. I mean, um, Steve, if you were in charge, if you were a Cardiff fan, and this may take a bit of imagination on your part, what would you like to see the club do? Because Matt makes a good point. You know, if if they do go for a footballing manager that squad is not set up to play good football. So you are seriously risking a relegation if you do that. On the other hand, if you go for um, another Warnock, Harris, McCarthy type, they probably suit the squad a bit more and you'd probably back them to get the kind of new manager bounce that the likes of Harris and, and McCarthy enjoyed. But long term, you're going to find yourself back in the same position. So what do you want to see? Do you want to see them risk a relegation to try and change the habit of a lifetime or do you just accept that do you know what this this squad is incapable of it and we've got to you know fi- find the man to to fit the the tools he'll have at his disposal it's a tough one really isn't it i mean when you have lost eight in a row i mean it, it depends how badly they fear relegation if they really fear it they probably have to get in some sort of firefighter to make sure it doesn't happen and then i would say reset in the summer and then just be prepared to take the bumps in the road, but it's easier to do that in the summer rather than obviously at this stage where you know we're not far off now. Well, we're over a quarter of the way through, aren't we? The season, um, obviously, you've lost eight in a row. I mean, when you're in that situation, you need results, don't you? So, 
I think they, they should probably look short-term again. What they should have done really was Mick came in, he did a good job to start with, made sure they weren't going down, and then they should have had somebody else in then from the summer with a more of a longer-term view, but obviously they don't seem to do that. So, yeah, they find themselves in in this situation now. And, and like I said, I think, arguably, as you say, I mean, the, the, with the players they've got, it probably does suit the more direct style of play, so that's probably what they should do. But um, I'm hoping they go down the, you know, the old has-been route again. Someone like Steve Keane would be uh, tremendous, or maybe John Barnes. I think uh, they're definitely the men from my point of view. John Barnes would at least try to play some good football. Um, but he's I, completely inept. He, he is completely inept as a manager. His record um, speaks for itself. Um, I'm just looking here, Matt, for the, for the odds. I mean, yesterday, uh, these odds are from yesterday, but Chris Wilder was the favourite at 6-4, to four, but David Pritchard has come out and said that um, he understands um, that, that Wilder wouldn't be interested at this moment. I wonder why. Um I mean, that's a manager who's made some, you know, surprising managerial moves in his past, but Cardiff would probably top the lot. The other names that they've got top of their list, Michael Flynn, ex-Newport manager, Jody Morris, who was linked with the Swans job in the summer. Neil Harris is 8-1 to one to come back there. Steve Morrison, who's caretaker manager, 10-1. to one. Chris Hewton, Roy Keane, Michael Appleton, Robert Page, Alan Pardew, Mark Hudson, who I've seen a couple of Cardiff fans say they wouldn't mind seeing him come back to the club. Gareth Ainsworth, Alec Neal, Craig Bellamy, Gary Monk, that would be an interesting one. He's only 20-1. to one. Uh, Steve Bruce, 20-1. Tony Pulis, 20-1. John Terry, Mark Bowen. I mean... Are there any names there that you, as a Swansea fan, would really like to see Cardiff go for out of the ones mentioned there? Most of them, to be honest, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's an answer for Cardiff. I think they're going to have to take pain. Um, I think the reality is um, Wilder fell out at Sheffield United with the owners. Well, he's going to have a sharp turn if he thinks he's going to get on with what's going on at Cardiff, who don't even have a director of football in place and refuse to get one. Um, I don't know if you saw the article uh, that was circulated on Twitter and the like um, on the weekend about, I think it was like a, a board meeting or the discussion with, with Tan and Kenchu and, um, and and their, their decision with Mick McCarthy and stuff. But um, if anything in that, in that, in that story is correct, it, it is a real eye opener for Cardiff fans. They are financially, financially insolvent, really. Really speaking, they are struggling. Um, there's no money for January. There's no money for next summer. Uh, a new manager would have to come in and work wonders with this team, which means they would have to go for a long ball manager, which you bring to the likes then. You look at your Tony Pulises and your stuff, uh, who I think is past his sell-by date by about five or six years. So that would be you know, exactly where they would probably be looking at for, a, for an option. Um, because they need someone, if they're not going to give any new manager money, they need someone who's going to work with what they've got. Secondly, in that article, it suggests that uh, Vincent Tan actually actively prefers a long ball style of play, which means unless he gets a director of football in who's you're going to stand up and go, actually, as a football man, this is the way we go, he is only answerable to himself. And if that's what he wants to do, he's going to do that. And so he's going to be in, in the interviews and he's going to be conducting those uh, appointments based on his preference. So 
Cardiff's relationship with Vincent Tan is fascinating because it's yeah. basically Stockholm Syndrome. They can't live without him because he is keeping the club. It was the same as Sam Man. Actually. Same but as Sam Man. It, it's, you know, they, they're completely reliant on his money, so they can't live without him. But at the other on the other hand, he's 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 you know killing the club in a, from a footballing point of view because he doesn't understand football. Um and, and they, they don't have people at that club that know how to run a football club effectively. They, you know, that's not just Tan, that's that's the likes of Dalman and Chu as well. I mean, they've that track record speaks for itself. They've made the 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 policy, the direction they've been taking the club on, it's 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 backwards, it's so old fashioned, it's out of date, it's it's about 20 years um in in the past you know it's um but but they're stuck in this position where they they they'd love to get rid of Vincent Tan and bring in somebody who knew their football but you know at the end of the day who else is going to be bankrolling the club the way Vincent Tan is and and well, pumping in the millions years just to keep them keep them afloat Oh, absolutely, absolutely agree. I mean, if if we compare, I mean, we in, in not too dissimilar position with you know disliking our owners kind of thing, but we compare the situations, and there are some stark contrasts between uh, Levy and Kaplan and Vincent Tan. Um, they do have similarities in that initially they wanted to be like the decision makers, where Vincent Tan very much still is, but also we look at the, the likes of the Bob Bradleys and the stuff like that, and the the links between the US and the UK where we would early doors um uh but vincent tan seems to be plowing money into that club just to keep them afloat nothing could ever be attributed to our shareholders as they're plowing ridiculous amounts of money into swansea i don't think anyone's ever made that accusation at them um secondly at least as much as we've said a lot of negative things about our owners at least they had the foresight when things went tits up to say we're going to get a football man in here and the likes of the Trevor Birch came in and whatever and, and, and oversaw uh, footballing operations and stuff because at that point they weren't very really sure exactly what they were doing. So, I mean, in Vincent Tan's case, again, we talk about ego, we talk about a man who wants the power, wants the control. He's he's not willing to relinquish that from what I can see. So they are, they are at his mercy. He is going to make those decisions based on what he thinks is best. I mean, wasn't it only like, Five or six years ago, he was talking about why is now goalkeeper scoring more goals. You know, he's completely out of touch. He doesn't understand the sport. So, re- really speaking, um, they're destined to fail until they take the pain we've talked about. That would be a, a, a strip out from the top down. That would be a complete exodus of most of the squad. That would be inevitable relegation, possibly multiple relegations. It would need a root and branch clear out, and it would take years. So, I mean, the only thing they could do in the meantime is throw insane amounts of money at it and give a manager the opportunity to shithouse a Premier League win, a Premier League promotion uh, over the next two or three years and hope that they can somehow rebuild with that money. But, I mean, it's looking a bleak prospect for them. At the moment, they just need to look to see if they can still be a championship club next year. Well, they're currently two points above the the bottom three. If it wasn't for Derby's um, points deductions, then then they would be in the bottom three. My feeling is that there are that they're probably going to be spared by the fact whatever happens, they'll probably be spared by the fact that there are an awful lot of really bad teams in the championship, or at least you know you could probably find three that that, that are clearly worse than them over an entire season. But at the moment, there's no doubt they are 
by some distance, the worst team in the championship. I saw Barnsley against Sheffield United on um, on Sunday. They weren't great, Barnsley. You can see why they were in the bottom three. But at least Barnsley had some fight and they managed to score two goals late on and, you know, make something of it. They were trying. I, you know, Cardiff needs somebody, first and foremost, that's just going to get them trying. Um, before we move on, move back to discuss the Swans, dare I say it, Steve, are there similarities between Cardiff City and Man United? They're not two clubs that, that are often compared to each other, apart from by perhaps a certain journalist. Um, <laughs> we, but, but, you know, you're looking at two clubs there who've had t- tons of money ploughed in over the years, no doubt about it, compared to, you know, um, the, t- the, the clubs around them in the league. Um, but two clubs who refuse to learn from their mistakes, um, two managers who've been shown to be quite tactically inept this season. Uh, one of them's already gone. The other one is rumoured to be on the way. But again, it can, like Matt was saying there, it comes down... The, the the manager is almost kind of the, just the, the front of house and what goes on behind um, behind the scenes is actually far more damaging to a club. And we're seeing in Manchester United, you know, Wally Gunnar Solskjaer is just following in the footsteps of David Moyes and, and Louis van Gaal and, and Jose Mourinho managers who've, you know, arrived at Old Trafford and, and ultimately failed. But they, they're simply being, they are being led from upstairs by by directors and, and and CEOs who don't don't actually know what they're doing and are, are are just totally out of their depth at that level and there is at any club I think that that is what makes the biggest difference I think if you are run well in the boardroom then that that makes such a difference to how you how you perform on the pitch and regardless of who your manager is if if the boardroom's in chaos, that it's going to be difficult to to get any kind of long term momentum. Yeah, I think well, you could probably include us in that. When um, you know, if you look around the time after the takeover, we, we were a mess, weren't we, in terms of what we were doing? We we we'd lost the Swansea way. We we were appointing people we would never have appointed before, and then we were doing it on short term deals, looking in, in in firefighting mode, survival mode. And it, it's just not the way to go, is it? You need to have a proper structure in place. I mean, Cardiff haven't had that for a, a long period of time. They sort of struck lucky with Warnock. But if you look at all the other managers they've appointed since Marky McKay, they've, they've all been, you know, bad, I would say. Certainly uh, average at best. Um, I mean, and like I say, United are sort of in a similar position. The only thing I'll give Solskjaer is, if he did leave the club tomorrow, he would be leaving them in a better position than what he found them, which probably isn't the case for pretty much every Cardiff manager that has gone in there, apart from Neil Warnock in recent years. So it's, yeah, I, I think you've, you've got to have a structure in place. I'm, I'm pleased with the Swans now that we've, you know, we did say in the summer that we wanted to appoint someone that wanted to play the style of play that we like. And it does seem now like everybody is aligned and, and the, the academy are in the same way in terms of playing the same way. So when you think of it like that, it does feel like, we're certainly learning from mistakes and we're on the right track, whereas there's other clubs that aren't. But that's a good thing because you don't want everybody to be uh, on the right track as far as I'm concerned. Long, uh, long may it continue up the road that those idiots don't uh, see the light and they carry on struggling. Yes, we could. We well, we'll we'll wait with uh, with bated breath to see who they actually appoint. But it, it is going to be an interesting one because uh, our dear rivals are. 
Um, at, at a bit of a crossroads, there's no doubt about that. Let's uh, move on to look at Swansea's next opponent, Peterborough United, uh, who actually are now above Cardiff in the table, despite being below them uh, throughout the campaign, so uh, up until this weekend. Um, they are an interesting one, Steve, newly promoted, and you know, with Darren Ferguson at the helm, I think it's I think it's fair to say that we all have a certain idea of what to expect from a Peterborough team that's just been promoted to the championship. You expect them to be quite attacking and you expect them to be really poor at the back. And for the most part, I think that I think it's fair to say that that's what we've seen from them this season. Yeah, like you say, I mean, obviously Darren Ferguson, is it is this his fourth spell in charge there? Third or fourth or something like that. <laughs> like it does seem a bit like Obviously, he'll leave at some point. Someone else will come in. And then you're more or less certain that the manager after that will once again be Darren Ferguson. It's like, you know, they, they may as well just stick at it because obviously, um, you know, it, he always seems to be in there. But I mean, as you say, that Peterborough are usually quite a decent watch. If you, like I said, they'll have a go at teams. They always seem to have a, a decent striker that will, will bang a few goals in. And yeah, like I said, that, that's what their approach will be. And it, like, they may have a chance of, of staying up, I think, because... Certainly, if you take that type of attitude, and you know, if if you you're always going to win maybe a few more games than others, you may obviously they'll ship goals. Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, I think Peterborough will come here and have a go, which which means it should be a, a decent game. They're not going to be one of those type of teams that like Hull and Millwall that came here thinking, right lads, let's get everybody behind the ball and try and frustrate the opposition. I I don't think we're going to see that from Peterborough. So yeah, I I think it'll be an interesting one on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to come here to attack. They're not going to rely on their defence because I don't think they can rely on their defence. Um, th- they were, I think, they, I think they did have the worst defence in the division. I'm not sure if they I still they do. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, and they also um, did have the worst um, uh, away record division. They hadn't picked up a single away point until they beat Hull um, the um, well mid, mid last midweek. Um, they won two one away at Hull, which which really speaks volumes about Hull. But since then, they've also gone on to win two um, one at home against QPR. So back to back wins. Um, is there a suggestion, Matt, that we're, we're playing them at the at the wrong time here? I could say that. And I think the man at the last minute winner against QPR as well will give them a lot of confidence. And, and like you say, it, how we felt after beating West Brom, stringing together two wins on a bounce, you know, it, it does make you feel an air of invincibility then, doesn't it? It makes you feel like, hang on, we can we can put a run together here. Um, let's hope that's not the case when you know when when they come down on the weekend because um, uh, on the face of it and you two may may look at this differently it will certainly be interesting but a Peterborough team is the sort of team I would hand pick to play against now you may have different views on this but I mean a team that isn't going to sit deep and, and and close the lines for us and make things difficult for us to create because um, I, I I I hate that um, but they're going to come at us but also they're not. You're not world beaters, you know. They are, you know, they are down there just outside the the relegation zone. They are newbies to the division again, and um, there will be gaps for us to exploit. And the relationship with a week off, a week's rest, and to you know to to rest up and 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 get some minutes on the training ground again. I hope that we can exploit those gaps. Um, I certainly, off the back of that disappointment against Birmingham, I would look at Peter Brown and say, God, if we could have them at home on Saturday. Um, yeah, the only the only stick in the mud there is the fact that they are going to be 
high on confidence themselves, and and so it will be a, a trickier result than it would have been last, a trickier game than it would have been this time last week. But um, yeah, I, I, this style of play hopefully will suit us, and and we'll be able to create some space because uh, you know we're going to have the lion's share of possession. And hopefully with them coming at us and trying to play a attacking game, we'll be able to pick holes. And um, fingers crossed, that's how it plays out. Yeah, just two clean sheets so far this season for Peterborough. One of them was against Bournemouth, which is um, a little bit unexpected, perhaps. But um, definitely some defensive deficiencies there to uh, exploit. But it, it is worth noting, Steve, Peterborough have this knack. And fair play to them. They are you know in terms of their transfer policy they have this knack of just finding players often from non-league or, or at least lower leagues um and just you know they turn out to be absolutely fantastic and the more often more often than not they're strikers you know um <laughs> when you look look through the years and the latest they've got Sariki Dembele brilliant in um in in league one last season he's he started scoring regularly in in the championship as well he looks like he is kind of their great big hope for this season. If he can keep scoring at the rate that he is, and I don't see why he wouldn't, um, then then they will have a decent chance. But it is mad, isn't it, how clubs like Peterbrook just consistently unearth these these players just through, again, ju- we, we spoke about it. It's good, it's good management off the pitch and a good transfer policy. Yeah, it is. I mean, like I, I mentioned before, the night strikers, and as you say, it's far, I mean, like in the early days of the McCarthy reign, I mean, they had the likes of Mikhail Smith and Aaron McLean, Remember after that they had Dwight Gale uh, briefly, didn't they? And they made a massive profit on him, even though he wasn't there for very long. Um, it was Britt Sombolonga, wasn't it? And then there's Johnson Clark Harris, I think now, and as you say, now Dembele as well. So yeah, they, they seem to have this this knack, don't they? I mean, if you look in non-league, they really are players about. I mean, um Dwight Gale was an interesting one because I think it was John Still that found him and he used to watch about three games a week. Uh, non-league. That's how he used to pick so many up. I mean, he was a dagger for years, I think. And, St. Luton, I think he took them into the league. So just shows you if you're willing to put the, the groundwork in. I know that when um, Frank Burrows was Swans manager, we're talking obviously like 30 years ago now, but I think he used to watch a lot of non-league and then picked up the likes of Des Little and John Williams on the cheap and obviously we sold them for what was big money at the time. So I think, yeah, if you can do some good scouting, you will have to put probably a lot of games in because you'll see a lot of players that probably are in non-league for a reason, obviously, but there'll always be a few hidden gems and I think if you can find them obviously that there's big money to be made in it so um peterborough obviously have got a, a bit of a knack for it haven't they and uh they, you have to give them credit for that because it's, it's probably made them quite self-sustainable down the years although obviously they do have uh, a loaner who, who can put money in if needs be yeah he's a good owner darren mcanton he's um i i like him i'll be honest um if by the way, uh, the last time Peterborough beat Swansea was in 1998 in the league, I should say. Um, the last time they beat us in the league was in 1998. So with that in mind, Matt, can I have your prediction, please? <laughs> Set me up here, haven't you? Um, yeah, I think I would. Uh, like I say, I would, I would look at the team like Peterborough and hope that that's the sort of game that we can um, we can perhaps flourish. Um, I I'll put us down for a. Uh, 2-0 win for Saturday Steve uh, I am going to go for a win but I'm not going to go for 2-0 I do think Peterborough may well score against us so um, I'm going to say 2-1 I'm going to say that we're going to win but I think it's going to be a wacky one I'm, I'm going to go 3-2 I think Peterborough fancy their chances counter-attacking picking holes 
likewise we'll fancy our chances and I think I think both teams will go for it and I think it'll be a, a wild one um the kind of match that we've not really been accustomed to seeing over the last few years but um I think all three of us are confident that uh, we can kind of recharge the batteries from Birmingham and um, hit back with a win against a team who um, are back to be down the bottom of the table, although it has to be said that they are in good form at the moment. Um, After we face Peterborough, we've got an away trip uh, halfway through next week to Coventry. Now, this is a very interesting one, boys, because um, Coventry, they've done well since they got promoted to... um, to the championship, but I don't think anybody, even Coventry fans, expected them to have quite the start of the season they have. They're up there in the top six. Um, they've been really impressive. And, and Steve, one of the most impressive performers for them, a key player, is Victor Gyukaresh, who it's fair to say did not set the world alight when he was at the Liberty. Yeah, I, I had a feeling that, that was coming through then. Um, Got to give him credit. I mean, he's, got, he's scored quite a few goals this season. He must be one of the top scorers in the league, is he? And yeah, I um, I obviously um, wasn't very complimentary about him on this podcast. So um, yeah, I think he deserves um, a lot of credit. It does uh, the one thing I would say with Yorker is that he didn't impress me at all when he played, but at the same time he didn't really have that run of games, did he? And you, you look back now and you think maybe that that would have helped or it certainly wouldn't have done any harm, would it? But um, Steve Cooper obviously wasn't uh, interested in doing that. So and I don't think any of us really complained about it either, based on what we saw. But um, yeah, it does look like obviously he's um, he's a better player than we give him credit for. So I think we all know how Tuesday's going to end, don't we? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you are a believer in the curse, then um, then you definitely do. The one thing I'll say is that um, he hasn't scored in uh, any of his last five games for club and country. Uh, ah, this, no. Oh. I was going to say normally the curse is a player that doesn't score goals scores against us. And then you was going to say, go caress what he's scoring. So I didn't realise he hadn't scored in five. Yeah, it's definitely no. happening. He is, he is the fourth top scorer in the championship with nine goals. Um, but I mean, Matt, it, it is funny, isn't it? How a, how a player can go from being, you know, just, well, the best you can say about Gersh at Swansea was that he didn't set the world alight here. Um, I, I agree with Steve. He didn't really get much of a chance, but I don't think, you know, I don't think anybody can blame the can blame the club for not giving him more of a chance, considering you know they didn't really have much of an impact when he came on. I definitely didn't think he was as bad as a lot of um, the keyboard warriors made him out to be, but he wasn't any great shakes. And in fairness, last the second half of last season at Coventry, he wasn't. I was about to call the Coventry great. game out actually. Yeah, it's that was know, the one he got. A, he got about ninety there, didn't he? I think he got the full game or more, more or less the full game, didn't he? In that one. Um, I think that was the one, perhaps, where people came back. He did score, didn't he, in that game? If I remember, he did, well, did he the, not score a goal for us cup, in that game? In the cup, I think he scored one goal for us in the cup. Did he? Right. Okay. I, I remember a game he scored for us, but he did, he still looked off. He looked low on confidence, and uh, he missed a few, quite a few in that game. And he scored a scrappy yeah. goal, a header. Um, I thought it was against Coventry. I may be mistaken then. Um, but uh, no, he, he, he started against Coventry, but he didn't score against Coventry. Okay. Uh, it was IU who scored. Um, and he, yeah, he didn't have the best of games that day. And Coventry, I, I'll be honest, when we did play him last year, I wasn't, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I was quite impressed with them. Uh, they certainly worked harder than us in the games and uh, and thought that they um, they looked every bit the sort of team that should get more results than they were getting, um, to be honest with you. And, and perhaps a bit of bad luck and naivety was costing them but uh it's all clicked together this season they're up in fourth 
Um, I know they're in a bit of a they 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 picked up two points in the last three games, so um, maybe not uh, flying at the moment, but certainly uh, still you know high in the table and will be full of confidence from their start. Um, no, I, I say this is exactly what you need to do when you when you come into this division is consolidate and uh, and and build a build a platform to build to to go on from and uh, they they look like they've done that well and they've you know really impressed the start of the season um, and and what you always need you always need someone to stick it in the back of the net is come from an unlikely source but um, they they perhaps lacked that a little bit and now they've got someone up there who's going to do it and. Uh, Fair play to them. They're um, they're looking good, and uh, it's going to be a very difficult game for us. Callum O'Hare, the other player who always looks good for Coventry, just a just a really classy operator, um, leading their midfield. Um, brilliant player. I mean, Steve. In fairness, if there's if there's one club that whose fans deserve a bit of success and a bit of joy, it it is Coventry because. Uh, since they were relegated from the Premier League, they've had a lot of miserable times. And even after kind of getting promoted back from League Two to the Championship, you know, their, their first season back in the, up until this season, they were playing in Birmingham and, you know, they were playing in Northampton before that, etc. They, they've had a torrid time of things, uh, Coventry. So, you know, from a neutral point of view, it's nice to see fans who have been through such a horrible time actually getting a bit of reward in the end. Yeah, I think it's something that we can relate to, really, isn't it? Because obviously, when we were young, we were a club that went through, you know, bad times, and then we came out the other side, and it does make that success that bit more enjoyable. So I know what you mean. I mean, Coventry obviously were remarkably in the top flight, weren't they, for thirty odd years in a row? But I think up until they went up from League Two, they hadn't finished in the top six of any division since the seventies as well. So you think that is a club's fans? that have just not been used to their team winning games of football, like consistently, for obviously for decades. So um, it is nice to see them having a little bit of uh, success, to be fair, isn't it? I mean, it's it has been tough for them. They played Northampton for a bit, didn't they? Obviously played at Birmingham, I think. That, that ground is not the best. I'm glad they're back there now for their own sake. But I mean, it'd be a bit like the Swans playing in Valindra. You know, it's miles out from the centre. It's by the motorway. There's not a lot there. I mean... I'd be furious if we had that type of situation, but at least they are now back in their own city. And, um, you know, um, I don't think anyone can really um, begrudge them uh, having a little bit of success, really. I mean, they don't really have a rival either, do they? So I can't even point to other clubs saying they, they wish it on them. But, um, yeah, I think Coventry are certainly... You always think, don't you, sometimes certain clubs, they, they have, like, their days in the sun. And then they, I'm not saying they so much deserve to suffer, but they don't deserve the maybe to continue having that glory and um and Coventry certainly have had um, a tough time over the last couple of decades and um I think they now deserve uh, some brighter times. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can uh, sustain it um um over the course of the season. Um just look ahead to both of these games together, Matt. Are there any players that you think one could do with a rest from the Swans and any players who you would like to see in either of the, the two upcoming games? I'm delighted we've got a break now um, because that Birmingham game perhaps looked a step too far. Um, we were talking about um, when we previewed it, I, I ridiculously predicted a, a win against West Brom and a draw against Birmingham. But I, I certainly thought that maybe we had the wind in our sails against West Brom. And I didn't expect us, though, to um, be as uh, had the stuffing knocked out of us as much as we did. Uh, at, at St Andrews, so I, I do think the break 
will be great. And I hope they utilise that with, you know, a lot of rest period because I think that was our main main issue. A lot of our mistakes came from tiredness. So um, we saw enough in Cardiff and West and West Brom to say that the, the you know the understanding is there and it's growing every game, and um, and use the opportunity now to to make sure the likes of um, the players who we've really struggled to get on the pitch, like your Chams and your Liam Walshes and stuff like that, are you know rested up and give us those options because we're probably going to need to make changes between the two games, maybe only a couple, hopefully, but. Um, you know, there are a couple of mainstays. I would just wrap in cotton wool and ice <laughs> and just make sure that uh, Patterson and Piro and the like are, uh, are are fit for both. But um, but certainly now we've seen Obafemi come off the mark. That's a great bonus for us because it gives us a plan B. Um, without being too critical on the lad, I don't see it in Liam Cullen at the moment. I think he needs uh, desperately needs 35 games and another team. Uh, if he has to go down to League One or even two, to get those games, then so be it. Because for me, that's career-defining now at his age. He now needs to do that to prove that he can be relied upon week in, week out, and then come back, hopefully a different player, and um, banging the goals for Swans um, next season. And I hope he gets that move in January, um, if it's available to him. Um, because we desperately need another option for Piro when he's tired or he's not quite hitting it. And... Um, Hopefully, Obafemi is going to give us that option now off the bench. And uh, again, like I say, a, a fit and firing and charm is is a Rolls Royce of a player. So um, we need to give those players the opportunity to 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 get their fitness up, to make sure that they're sharp and ready to go, and uh, and and then see where that takes us. But um, yeah, it'll be important to, to to we don't pick up any in unnecessary injuries, and we we go into the weekend um, with with plenty of options and and opportunities to rotate if needed for for the Coventry game. And just before we go on to um, kind of give predictions for the Coventry game, Steve, looking again at the two matches together, do you think it is important that we you know that we do get at least sort of one win minimum out of, out of these two just to keep the kind of momentum and the good feeling going after after the wins against Cardiff and West Brom? Um, it's, it's not like absolutely vital, is it? But, um, you know, I think realistically we could, we could do with winning one of them because, I mean, you're looking after that. We're away to Bournemouth. They haven't lost yet. That's going to be a very difficult game. I think we'd all be pretty delighted to get anything out of that one. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, especially the Peterborough game, we'd, we'd be looking at that for a win, wouldn't we? I think if we don't win that, we'd be a bit disappointed on Saturday. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we just want to keep ticking over, really, don't we? I mean, we've, I, I do feel like we've made a step forward, as I'm sure both of you do. And a lot of people do that after the, you know, the Cardiff and West Brom wins. So, um, yeah, hopefully um, we will get um, another win on the board on Saturday. And then I think we'd all be quite happy with the draw from Coventry. I mean, if we got four points, I think that would be brilliant. But, I think if I was offered three, I'd, I'd probably take it. Well, do you think we're going to get three, one or zero points? What, what's your prediction for Coventry away? One nil, Jokeres. That would be typical, Matt. Um, uh, yeah, um, I've done this much this season. I think Coventry might, might be a bit stronger than us in their current uh, confidence. So I'll go, um, yeah, I'll agree. I'll go a one nil defeat at that one but I hope I'm wrong 
I'm going to be a bit more positive, but I think it is going to be a difficult trip away to the to the Rico, or whatever it's called these days. Um, I, I'll go for a one all. Like I think that will be a great result considering what uh, Coventry have been doing this season. Well, um, yeah, hopefully you uh, haven't minded the diversionary uh, activity which uh, saw us discuss Cardiff for quite uh, quite some length. I'm sure you'll have enjoyed the nature of the chat, uh, and hopefully you'll have enjoyed the rest of the uh, podcast as well. Uh, and hopefully you'll be back to join us next week when hopefully we'll have a couple of wins to discuss. But until then, thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.